1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Health Hub. I'm your host, Kathy Biasse, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex.
2: Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to our listeners.
1: How was your weekend?
2: Pretty uh, eventful. Pretty Um, eventful.
1: We had a long holiday weekend here, and it was beautiful. What happened on on your weekend, Alex?
2: Well, I actually took some time to bake some uh, carrot cake, and um, that was on Saturday. And then on Monday, I actually went to the Danforth Music Hall to take in a concert.
1: Uh, That was a big concert this weekend. That was in support of the victims of the shooting, wasn't it?
2: I'm not too sure that was the same concert that I attended. But I attended a a Gary Clark Jr. concert. Very nice. Yeah, he's a blues artist, and I really enjoy blues.
1: Was it busy on the Danforth?
2: Not not so much. I mean... It wasn't too bad just just the lineup was a bit long but that's okay
1: well the weather was outstanding I yes thought, it was uh, yeah it didn't uh, i think daniel was saying that it rained somewhere where we were up north it was just beautiful we yeah have a,
2: by the time i got back to oakville it was a uh, pouring
1: it was was it yes on the monday yes no we we were quite lucky we have uh, our family up we have a Biasse bash once a year mm-hmm. so we have uh all the kids up and the uh, Brother my my sisters and my brother in law's up for the weekend and it's it's we've been very lucky. I can I don't, this might be our fifth, sixth year doing it and uh the weather held. It was hot. No question it was hot, but it was just gorgeous.
2: And wonderful.
1: Mm hmm. So today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. You can reach us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Health Hub RMC for each of those social platforms and email us at thh@radiomaria.ca at if you would like uh, further information on this show, any other show, or just want to have a chat. We welcome uh, welcome your comments and thoughts Always looking to do things for our listeners and if you have any ideas for a show or a topic that you're interested in hearing, uh, we do our very best to get people on the show as, as we are the next couple of weeks. Um, the next couple of shows are circling around uh, the issue of dementia. And today's show is with a focus on Alzheimer's. But uh, before we get to that, I'd like to let you know that all of our shows are flipped over into a podcast format. You can uh, find the health hub on iTunes, SoundCloud on any of your favorite podcast f- uh, platforms. And you can also find our podcasts on uh, the radio Maria Canada website, which is www.radiomaria.ca. And you can find them on wi- my website, which is simply kathybiase.com. And, uh, If you like what you hear, we always appreciate the positive feedback. It lets us know that uh, you guys are happy with what you're hearing and that's what we're striving to do for you. Our show last week, Changing Conception of the Mind and Healing with Dr. Anna Yassim, is up. It's ready with Dr. Anna Yassim and Pamela Tinkham. It's up and ready for your listening pleasure. But today's show, as I mentioned, is the first of two circling the topic of dementia. Our focus with Dr. Sue Griffin will be on Alzheimer's. And um, this is something that many people have shown an interest in, and rightly so. Uh, The numbers are increasing. And um, it's something that a lot of people are suffering from. Caregivers are, are um, abound with uh, many family members of their own and taking care of them. So it's a topic that we'd like uh, to dive deeply into. Um, but before we get into introducing our guest, there is some confusion between the word dementia and Alzheimer's disease. So I'd like to try and clear that up for you. Um, in, in brief in brief stance here, when someone is diagnosed with dementia, they're being diagnosed with a symptom um, of associated things that um, affect uh, a decline in mental function, severe enough to reduce a person's ability to perform regular, everyday activities. So dementia, the word in and of itself is an umbrella for a term used to describe a decline in mental function. Common causes of dementia include Huntington's disease, Parkinson's disease, and Alzheimer's disease. And symptoms of Alzheimer's disease include impaired thought, impaired speech, and confusion. And our guest today is Dr. Sue Griffin, and she received her PhD in physiology at the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry, she is the Alexa and William T. Dillard Professor and Vice Chairman of Research at the Donald W. Reynolds Department of Geriatrics at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Dr. Griffin is the Director of Research at the Geriatric Research Education and Clinical Center at the Veteran Affairs Medical Center, a part of Central Arkansas Veterans Healthcare System. And she is Editor in Chief of the Journal of Neuroinflammation. Dr. Griffin's research interests focus on the mechanisms involved in the progression of Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative conditions such as Parkinson's, Down syndrome, head trauma, and epilepsy. Her research has led to a significant breakthrough in the early detection and treatment of Alzheimer's and it has drawn nationwide nationwide acclaim for Dr. Griffin herself, the Donald W. Reynolds Institute on Aging and the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. In 2016, Dr. Griffin received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Alzheimer's Association at its international conference right here in Toronto. Today, our learning points include, how might Dr. Griffin's latest discoveries help to determining future treatment for Alzheimer's disease? What do we know that can help prevent or slow the progression of Alzheimer's? And what is autophagy and how is that different in people with Alzheimer's? So when we get back from our break, we will have a conversation with Dr. Griffin.
3: And through the trial and-
0: listening to Radio Maria Canada we now continue with the program The Health Hub hosted
1: by Kathy Biasi welcome back everybody as mentioned our show is live if you'd like to call in our number is 416-245-1534 you still have time to give us your questions on Instagram Twitter or Facebook at The Health Hub RMC and feel free to email us at THH at RadioMaria.ca Dr. Griffin welcome to the show this morning how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very, very busy schedule to um, come and share the wonderful research that you have with our listeners. We really do appreciate it. Now, I'm thinking that... Well, you're very welcome. <laughs> I'm thinking that where we might start <laughs> is perhaps you can explain to us, because I think we need to do this in layers, perhaps you can explain to us what the physiology of Alzheimer's is.
0: The physiology
1: of Alzheimer's? Yes, with regards to the beta amyloids, the, um, the proteins, that sort of thing. Well, actually, what
0: I, I think you're referring to is really what's the pathology do when you look at the brain mm-hmm. and people with Alzheimer's disease. And this is actually how you confirm that a person did have Alzheimer's disease. And that is uh, in, at autopsy then you can look at the brain itself and see if it has the beta amyloid plaques and the neurofibrillary tangles inside the neurons. The plaques are outside the neurons. And uh, if they have the tangles inside the neurons in a sufficient number in areas that are affected and a sufficient number of, of plaques outside the neurons, then you can say yes. The clinical diagnosis was correct, and this person has Alzheimer's disease. Is this? And so that's the clinical picture of it. Okay. And and uh, go ahead. When you when you know this, you've actually done a clinical assessment of the patient, and um, in that clinical assessment, there are some pretty specific tests that can be done to show that a person has probably has Alzheimer's disease rather than some other kind of dementia. And there are uh, several, as you mentioned, different kinds of dementias. But basically, what happens in the scheme of things is in a nursing home, for example, where you have a demented patient, then if a person has high blood pressure, maybe a stroke or something like that, then their uh, dementia is usually referred to as vascular. But about eighty percent of people in nursing homes with dementia turned out to have Alzheimer's disease when you look at the brain. So it's Alzheimer's is the really big source in the general population.
1: Can this only be determined post mortem? Otherwise you're you're looking at symptoms?
0: Well Mostly you're looking at symptoms, but, but we're getting pretty good at, at knowing whether or not it's Alzheimer's disease by by those mental tests. There was you
1: know, a question like a, that actually... There's one
0: that's the... Go ahead. There's a, one that's called the Montreal Assessment, and that's, called, that's the MOCA for short. And that's the one that has the clock mm-hmm. and then uh, also other tests that really pinpoint pretty well... Alzheimer's disease, and then it's confirmed at all, at autopsy. So if, if a family really wanted to know, but there are other things, you know, like, for example, as I mentioned, vascular dementia, well, if the person's had serious high blood pressure and maybe a stroke or, or a few small ones or something like that, then it's very likely to be vascular dementia. And, uh, but then if a person had Parkinson's disease, then you would know it because there are the outward signs of Parkinson's disease that are quite evident. And so, you know, you wouldn't really confuse those two. And so, and they're sort of the big three, Alzheimer's and, and then other ones that can cause some dementia for one reason or another. And then like Huntington's, for example, but Huntington's, so to speak, runs in families because it's a genetic mm-hmm. disorder. So, you know, that's not very difficult to detect either. So actually in the clinic, um, when they're trying to differentiate between whatever and Alzheimer's disease, then the clinical diagnosis is usually pretty good.
1: Okay. Now, is Alzheimer's disease the top Form of dementia, or would it be vascular?
0: Actually, um, as I was saying, eighty percent of people in in nursing homes, which is where oftentimes a person is is um, living, then they're eighty percent or, or have Alzheimer's. So it's pretty much the big one. The big one. And and one of the things we know about Uh, dementia and other kinds of diseases um, is that basically there are some lifestyle changes. And, of course, there's always genetics. Like if you have a family history where, you know, for example, your one or both of your parents have Alzheimer's in their background, you know, like maybe uncles, aunts, uh, parents then you have an increased risk because of genetic causes. But um, and the one that we were studying recently, APOE4, um, if you inherit both copies of that gene, that it's a variant of APOE, apolipoprotein E, then if you inherit that uh, gene sequence from both of your parents, then you're at a 12 to 15 times Um, risk for Alzheimer's compared to a person that might have the 3 variant or the 2 variant.
1: So this is the center of the research, your most recent research and finding, and I want to dive into that. But I think it might do us all well to step back. And uh, you spoke about the apolipoproteins. Now, before we get into the variants and what your discoveries are, perhaps you could explain to us what apolipoproteins are and what their normal function within the body is.
0: Well, they have a very important normal function. And that function really is to carry lipids and give them into cells. And of course, it's very important to regulate in and out of lipids. And so, you know, it's an important function. And that's why if you inherit the variant uh, that's called number four, there are two, three, and four there are the three of them. Then if you inherit the four that's why it's um important to understand that from um molecular aspect like what well, the work that we were doing because every you know the in science we know that if you inherit both copies, then you have a really sort of a important increase in risk for development of the disease.
1: Now, how does this protein increase risk for Alzheimer's disease?
0: Well, what we did, and this is sort of uh, jumping to the end, but that's correct. That's what we do in science. We jump to the end. We make a guess or a bet or or an idea. We try to act like it's not a guess at first, (laughs) but (laughs) based on information, like it's important. And another fact that we happen to know at that set was that people who have inherited both a four from their mama and a four from their papa, then they will have two copies of the four variant protein. And if they do, if you just look at the brain, at autopsy and look at a section of the brain, you'll see that they have noticeably more of those A-beta plaques outside the neurons and tangles inside the neuron. So then that's where you can make the guess. So you have, you have those facts, those two facts, the, the increase in risk and also the increase in the pathology in the brain And so then you can say, well, that's interesting, and I bet it has something to do with the cells, in particular the neurons, and, of course, the other cells, too, that they are not able to process and get rid of misfolded or used-up or unwanted proteins. And when that happens in a cell, then that is not good. It's just like if you can't carry out the trash at your house, then that's not good. So that's sort of a a little crazy of the whole idea that we went with, that we started with. So in science, basically what you do is you know something. You know, in other words, you've got fact one, fact two, maybe many And then you say, based on those facts, then I propose or I hypothesize that X will happen. And what we proposed was that the cells would not be carrying out the trash. That is, they would not be doing the best autophagy.
1: Now, is that with one or both? Now, is one... Negative a p o a four or does it take two of them to have this negative impact?
0: It does not take two because if you have one four, then you aren't quite as good, and then if you have two fours, then you are not good. Of course, people live long lives with four you know you can get to be forty, fifty, sixty, or whatever. You know, people live with this, but it's just a lifetime of not doing as well. Mm -hmm. And, of course, this isn't just in the brain. Every cell in the body has to uh, perform autophagy. Or could I just say carry out the trash?
1: Yes, I think it's important that people understand what autophagy is because the APOE4 is affecting this. So maybe you could go down there and talk about what autophagy is.
0: Okay, well, basically, autophagy is there are are two mechanisms in the cells, and one is to get rid of uh, what I think of as small things. You know, like you have uh, you have a protein that is spent. You know, proteins are recycled, so you can uh, reuse the amino acids that make up every protein, and then you can use it to. Make a new protein, or that same one, or whatever protein you want, and so that is that kind of ready, ridding the cell of unwanted things is the proteasome. And then there's another um, way of getting rid of larger things. I think of them as larger things, like there are these things in the cell called organelles. And one of the organelles is um, the mitochondria. And those are where we get our energy from. And so those cells, and they're really important, of course, and then when they're uh, old or used a lot, then they need to be recycled so they're bigger. And there's another system for dealing with bigger things, and that's the lysosome. So things are chewed up a little bit and then put in to the lysosome when they're dumped into the lysosome. It's a big sort of like a vat of acid, so to speak. And there, uh, the, that those uh, waste products then are degraded and carried out of the cell. So that's basically what autophagy means in both cases, small things in the proteasome, and bigger things are more complex things in the lysosome.
1: Okay, perfect. So just before we go to break, we've got things all laid out. Uh, when we get back from break, I just want to clarify. So the APOE4 impedes mm-hmm. autophagy. And from that yes, point? in a
0: word, you can say that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, then we can discuss how it does it after.
1: Perfect. Okay, we will go to break. And when we get back, we're going to further talk about this process and how this protein APOE4 inhibits this important function of autophagy. We'll be right back.
3: Suffered as if he did
1: The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice, wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here, once again, is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, Dr. Griffin, we now know what apolipoproteins are. We understand that APOE4 is is a determination in some cases of Alzheimer's, and you've explained to us what autophagy is. Can you bring us full circle and try and help us understand how this APOE4 protein might increase a person's risk now for Alzheimer's?
0: Okay, I'll try. (laughs) Um, In genetics, every protein that's made, is made up of amino acids and the code for the amino acids is in, in specific regions on the chromosomes and those genes then, there's a gene for APOE4 and there's a, Apo, the variants, all, of, all the proteins that are made in the entire body have their own sequences in the genes and those sequences on the chromosomes in the nucleus of cells, which is where the genes are, the chromosomes are, those genes are read and actually a a copy of them is made. So that's the message. So there's the DNA that has the code and the message is read off that code so it's a complementary sequence to the DNA, and that is then released from the nucleus into the cytoplasm, the the stuff that surrounds the nucleus in a cell. And there that code that's in the message is read off, that is, it's translated into the protein. And they're all perfectly made to uh, be just as they are coded by that message. And some genes have some uh, genes or proteins have variants. So when the protein is made, there are variants of the protein and those variants, APOE4 is one of those variants. And, you know, there are probably many, many proteins, and we know already that there are many proteins that have variants. And usually why you call them variants is because there's the one that's most commonly expressed in the population. For example, about 85 or so proteins, a percent of people have APOE3 They've inherited three from both of their parents, and so they then are the, the what we think of as the normal, the the most common, APOE33. And then there's another variant that's APOE2, and really a small percentage of the population have that, maybe three or four or five percent. And then there's about 15, 12, 15, that have APOE4. The rest of all, all of us, I happen to know, I'm 3, 3. <laughs> so the rest of us are very likely to have a 3, 3. And the variants uh, are different enough that sometimes they convey to the individual a risk for the, this, that, or the other. Or maybe they give a real advantage, like it seems. Now, this is not totally confirmed by us, but we tried it a little bit. uh, That if you are a 2-3 or a 2-2, then you would not be very likely at all on the risk factor side to have Alzheimer's. So, you know, sometimes it's good. But then there can be other things that we, we don't know about yet or that we do know about that if you have a 2, it's not so hot. Mm-hmm. So these variants, and basically, as I said, we call it the the usual because it's a uh, 3-3. That's because most people have it. So when you say my risk is 12 to 15 times, then that means compared to if you're a 3-3, basically. Okay. So that's what risk for something means, and it's the same thing in risk for breast cancer or whatever you're talking about. If it's a variant that is associated with the risk, that that's what it means.
1: And this variant of the APOE4, how does it how does it increase our risk for Alzheimer's disease? What is it doing? Well, specifically, what we found, and this would be um, more or
0: less unique for other proteins, but this is with regard to APOE4. Each one of those genes that uh, codes for a protein or several proteins or whatever, each one has its own, then each one of those is turned on on the DNA by something called a transcription factor. That means that that sequence of DNA is to be read as the message. So it's transcribed into the message. And then the message, as I was saying earlier, is then sent or released into the cytoplasm and there it's translated into the Sequence of amino acids of that protein—that specific one, not something else.
1: Mm -hmm. No, is it? And so, in go ahead.
0: And in in doing that, then the the key word I mentioned—words, I guess—transcription factor. That's the that's the boss. And so, when that protein is demanded by the cell, then the transcription factor. Uh, goes to the DNA and turns on that unique sequence for that protein. So when it says, when the the cell says, I need some APOE, then it goes in and it transcribes off that specific sequence when the transcription factor um, aligns with it. And if that transcription factor meets with an ApoE, that gene is an ApoE4 gene, then you'll get ApoE4 protein made by that cell. And you will have, if you have a 4 from mom and pop, then you will have only an ApoE4. If you have one from one or the other that's a 3, then you'll have a 3-4 or a 2-4 or a 2-2 two, two, or a 2-3, depending.
1: Now, is the ApoE4 and is this impeding proper autophagy in the cell is that the link
0: yes exactly
1: okay so you've got APOE4 and then you're not able to remove the debris the garbage like you say as well yeah. or at all i guess is that why if you have two two of the APOE4 No you can all-
0: do it some are you you could you couldn't last long if you couldn't do it at all so you can do it some Okay. And so, so the long guess that we made, which was, of course, the logical one, um, the long guess that we made was that APOE4 would some way um, interfere with the production of the protein.
1: I see. Okay, the proteins
0: that are made off of that gene sequence, and the specific gene sequence that's important for lysosomal autophagy is one that's been named, and the name of it is CLEAR, which is so cute because it's clear—it's the clearance of stuff from the cell. So that was a, a nice name for it.
1: Nicely named. And what it
0: stands for. What, what that sequence of DNA that's called the CLEAR site, what that CLEAR stands for is comprehensive lysosomal expression and activity. That, that is that sequence. And it codes for three proteins, that sequence. And the proteins are LC3B, and uh, sequestosome and LAMP2. And LAMP2 is the third one, and that is cute because it lands on the lysosome, it's a protein that's on the lysosome, and then that's when you can put the garbage into that, you might call it acid bath.
1: Okay, interesting. So, now, with with this discovery, um, the functionation, the functionation, the functioning of the APOE four, and how it's affecting the autophagy. What, okay. What can uh, you? What is this determination doing as far as helping us with the future treatment of Alzheimer's disease?
0: Okay, can I talk just one second about this other thing? Absolutely. The other thing is that so what we discovered and this was so amazing and this is my brilliant graduate student uh Paul Parkhan and then we had um um Sundrum the this who was a postdoc at that time now he's an assistant professor but at at that time Sundram was doing the modeling, and Paul had the idea, and the idea was that APOE4 was going to compete with that transcription factor, and the reason he could think that is because the sequence of APOE was not so different from that transcription factor, and so the idea was it competes with it, and that is exactly what happened, and when you when you... Have ApoE44 both copies, then if you are a person with Alzheimer's disease and you compare that, um, the the messages for um, the clear site, if you compare that with ApoE44, then you will see that those three proteins and those three transcripts are much less. Than 3-3 people that have Alzheimer's disease that than in their brain. And so we certified it in Alzheimer's itself in people with 4-4 versus those with 3-3. And then we did a lot of uh, experiments with cells, et cetera, to show exactly. And also the, Sundrum did the modeling where we substituted the different amino acids for the ApoE3 and 4 and 2.
1: Very interesting. It's, it's really is interesting, the findings that you have. Now, how do we translate this into future treatment of Alzheimer's, or can we, can we do anything right now? Well, you
0: know, the, the thing that we might could do is sometime in the future, now they're getting uh, more and more information about how you could actually change genes. But that's not very practical because, you know, even though it's only a relatively small group of people that have 4-4 but it still would be uh, tremendously expensive. So basically, I think the reason that a person might want to know, this is just me <laughs> suggesting this as a person who thinks about it, might want to know is because if you knew, then you would perhaps have a better idea of, I better take care of myself, and that means lifestyle. And I think... This, I think that one of the ways that you would do this, and you should do it anyway, no matter what, uh, you should not become obese. And if you are obese, and especially if you have type 2 diabetes already, then you should do something about it and or you should not go there. And that's a choice. And uh, so I think that, especially here in the states, and in our state, and all over the country now, there are already dire predictions for how obese and that we are likely to be in 2050. So we should not go there. And because these lifestyle changes, they, they go right along with the risk for Alzheimer's disease. So that implies, at least to me, that uh, these would be risky behaviors, and in particular if you were ApoE4. And when we were studying our our epilepsy cases and looking at the pathology in people with epilepsy at all different ages, then um, at the end we said because of the nature of having a 4, ApoE4, that basically these people had come to surgery, for their epilepsy because it was intractable, which means that though drugs worked, and uh, we were suggesting that it might be something that a clinician would think about and maybe take those people to surgery earlier. So, epilepsy four is a risk because of what it does to the autophagy of a cell, and that's the reason. And however, you can help yourself with being. Uh, having stronger and less impacted, you know, like head injury, epilepsy, um, obesity, top two diabetes, all these things are risk factors.
1: So, does this play so, into earlier research that you um, that you determined that there was an inflammation connection between Alzheimer's? Oh
0: well, of course, the inflammation. Those those were our our original studies, and inflammation. Of course, the problem. Oh so glad you asked because really what I think is the neuron problem is the problem. So if you have a, a TBI, which people talk about now, or you have a head injury, in other words, or epilepsy or, or any of those other things already mentioned, if you have those things, then those are negative impactors for neurons, nerve cells in your brain. So you don't want to have them. But sometimes you do anyway. And so in those cases, the problem is the neuron. The neuron or the nerve cell, that is the cell. And that sets up a process. And it can be for the good in the short run, acute phase. And, and that, when that happens, the neuron signals to these cells that are immune cells in the brain. They're the innate immune cells in the brain. That means they're there and they stand like guards by uh, neurons, and the neuron release, releases a factor onto the the glia, and those glia then begin to make this small protein that's just like the one in your knee made by macrophages, and that protein is interleukin-1, and that is released back onto the neuron to try to help it, I think, uh, and it, codes for the beta amyloid precursor protein. And that is a a membrane protein that must be there. And when you have a small acute accident, like, you know, a little bit of a bump on the head, then when you have that and the neurons impacted, then it makes the beta amyloid precursor just in case the membrane is hurt. The membrane of the cell must stay intact. And that that protein, the beta amyloid precursor protein, is inside and outside, so it's like a a little uh, hair growing out, and the end of it that's outside the cell can be cleaved off, and that thing is called alpha secreted APP, sAPP alpha, and that is what activates that glial cell and what causes it to make the interleukin one, and it codes then, then that causes the neuron to make helpful proteins like that membrane protein and like proteins that are necessary for the synapse, that's the alpha-synuclein, and other proteins that are helpful. But over time, then you make so much of that BAPP, you will be able then to cut off of the in, outside and inside piece The beta amyloid, that's the plaque.
1: Okay, so now if we go full circle on this, and I could be totally wrong Mm -hmm. with where I'm going, increased inflammation creates more of this plaque, and then if you have the APOE4, you have an inherent inability to effectively or at, at its highest potential remove this plaque
0: okay, if you get tired of, of doing these podcasts, you can come down and work in the lab <laughs> because that was excellent. It's just, <laughs> true, true. Uh, so that's, okay, is that the function? You. It's pretty much it. Awesome, okay. <laughs> so, and But the but reason for that is because the plaque itself is um, making a ne- negative impact on that neuron. That's why. And so you create a self-propagating cycle. The plaque, then you have a plaque. You don't have one at first. You have a plaque, and the plaque itself is uh, hurting the neuron. And the neuron responds by making the microglia or the the astrocyte make more IO1, the interleukin-1, and that now impacts again the neuron and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And the interleukin-1 also increases the production of the tangled up protein. So you can see that you can have potential with the tangled protein and the A-beta for Alzheimer's disease. And then the alpha-synuclein that I mentioned about the synapse, There, alpha-synuclein is what's in the Lewy body that characterizes Parkinson's disease. So you can have Alzheimer's with Parkinson's or vice versa.
1: It's a fascinating topic and um, it's, it's so important. You know, the question is whether you want to know if you've got this protein. Um, we're still, sure. I guess, it's, you're not at the stage where you're able to do anything when you have this except understanding this actual mechanism that we just talked about. And I think you mentioned about lifestyle about decreasing mm-hmm. inflammation. And I think, you know, as we as we end the show today, um, you've brought a lot of hope, I think. You know, the, obviously, and congratulations on that uh, Lifetime Achievement Award in 2016. I'm a couple of years too late, but uh, that is a, a, an outstanding award um, that you received. But you're giving people information, and information is powerful. And, you know... I think that we'll wrap it up on this positive note that there are things that can if nothing else slow down this process and um, I'd really like to thank you for taking the time I know you've been all over this last week all over the world so I I do appreciate you coming to the show and uh, you've really enlightened me and I'm I'm sure our listeners so everybody um, if you have any further questions for Dr. Griffin I'd be happy to field them for you and uh, send them her way fascinating topic and do remember that we have a second part of our show next week on dementia and we will talk to you everybody next week on The Health Hub.